can I take 350 customers today at 110 ACV average? You're doing about 3.5 million a month. Uh, we're doing a little less than that. There's customers and there's licenses. So our ARR is, is you know, this year going to be between 35 and 45 million. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like... Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hey folks, my guest today is Matt Britton. He's the founder and CEO of enterprise software platform, Suzy at suzy.com. It's an enterprise market research software. Matt, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right. This is like a very, you know, as software permeates the world, everyone needs to do better user testing and get better market research and all those sorts of stuff. Are you serving mainly SaaS companies doing research or is this enterprise research for anybody? Well, we serve primarily large enterprise brands, consumer packaged goods, companies, food and beverage companies, uh, consumer technology companies, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So how might like Procter & Gamble use you then? So P&G is actually a customer and companies like P&G uses across the entire product development life cycle. So that's everything from what type of product extension should they come to market with? What should the packaging look like? What should they name it? What should they price it? What should the merchandising look like? What should the advertising look like? So if you think of any new product, there are so many different departments that touch it in a large enterprise and each department needs to have the voice of the consumer throughout that decision-making process. And that's what the role Susie plays. So it's not as much of a vertical solution like a user test where it's for one specific you know, point solution, it's really meant to be a system of record for consumer insights at large enterprises. And you think you'll stick to consumer insights for the foreseeable future? Well, I mean, ultimately, we are about connecting the asker, which is large brands, with the tellers, which is our proprietary consumer network, you know, in aggregate to allow companies to make decisions. So that is our business model. And that's what we're going to continue to do. You can call it whatever you'd like. There's so many different iterations and use cases, but the world's changing so fast. And 99% of decisions that are made at companies are not made with any data. They're, they're guesses. Uh, they're hunches. They're based upon myopic thinking. So we really want to make market research accessible um, the same way the iPhone made the camera accessible because the best camera is the one you have on you, right? It's kind of how we look at our tool. Matt, when you, we chatted back in September, I think you were serving about 250 enterprise customers. Where are you at today? We're about 350. Wow. Okay. That's a ton of, where did most of that growth come from? Um, just expanding to uh, new industries that, that we've rolled out to, as well as identifying new use cases in existing companies. And, and, and we've also expanded our sales and marketing team dramatically. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. So yeah. what's team size today? I mean, we spoke in September 2019. I mean, Was it 2019? I, yeah. I don't think we've spoken since the pandemic. Uh, we may have, but... Oh, you're totally right. You were... T- yes, you're right. It was 200 customers back then. Yeah. Right. You're up to 350 now. Yes. Yeah. So so you're, and your team size back then, I think you told me it was 65, right? 
And now we have 200. Holy cow. How many engineers? About a third of our team are engineers. So 60 ish. Yep. And how many sales folks? Um, we have 18 ramp sellers and then we have, you know, a team of SDRs almost at a one-to-one ratio to support them. So caught 36, the 18 that are carrying quota. How did you set that up? A lot of founders have trouble scaling that sales team. Um, how do we set it up in terms of their comp or how do we set it no, up? No, ex- of- exactly. The, yeah. The first sales hire with a quota, the second, the 18th year on now, the comp structure. Yeah. What's the quota target? So, I mean, we shoot for a five to one ratio. So for every $5 sold, our seller gets a dollar and, you know, on target earnings, obviously it varies within our sellers. Uh, their quota increases, um, as they continue to gain tenure at the company because they're pipeline built. Uh, we actually have two different teams at our organization. We have a net new team and an expansion team. Um, so some of our more seasoned sellers are on the expansion team because it's more of a strategic sell. When you're selling net new, you're talking more about your product because theoretically you don't know as much about the company. When you're selling an existing large enterprise like a Microsoft, we need to understand how to map the organization, you know, speak to their business terms and their KPIs. So it's really a job for a more seasoned seller to be able to expand. How many of those 18 folks are on the net new team versus the expansion team? Seven are on the expansion team right now and 11 are on the net new. So Interesting. And, and, and we've got so, a 60-40 mix in terms of our revenue, uh, ARR growth each year, uh, net new 60%, 40% expansion. 40% expansion. Okay. And and so there's a lot of people, there's a lot of founders at your level, your AR that are starting to seriously ramp. They could become a CSM team, an expansion team, whatever, but customer success with a quota, with an expansion target. So so how do you... How do you yeah, so our, you got it. So our customer success group is is compensated on net revenue retention because some of their customers return, some will expand. Um, and and in terms of direct revenue correlation, they're more focused on upsell versus cross sell. So for example, if we have a license with Gillette for hundred thousand dollars and the CSM renews them to one hundred and ten, that ten thousand of ARR is upsell. But if we go from Gillette to Tide you know, which is still in the PNG portfolio, that's a cross sell. So that's more what our sellers do. Does the CSM make commission on the 10K additional revenue or 50K additional revenue? It's revenue? more of a bonus type structure, but yes, they're, they're okay. compensated on it. Yes. But not as a direct correlation that you would see in like an AE. Yeah, because because we want them to be real partners of our customers and not really trying to, I mean, if they get our customers to get the most value out of the product, then the customers are going to stay. They're going to tell their counterparts about it. They're going to expand their spend. So we really want them to be more of a partner of the customer, the CSMs, versus just being so revenue focused that they might lose sight of that. With this new expansion team of seven and the CSM team, your ARPU back in the day was about 5,400 in 2019. I imagine it's probably expanded. What's your monthly ARPU? On, a, on, a, on, a, on an annual monthly, basis? Monthly basis, monthly basis. Yeah, so, so, so you're talking about 65,000. Right now it's at 110,000. Wow, okay, so that's this is working then. I mean, that yeah, is- we're going upstream. So, you know, if you look at some of our competitors, you you the publicly traded ones, they talk about wanting to go to the enterprise, wanting to go to the enterprise, where, where were they wanna be? Um, and I see our company at 100 million ARR having a 250,000 to 400,000 thousand ACV and, you know, maybe even having less customers because what we're finding is, you know, there's basically four quadrants of customers or small company, small spend, small company, big spend, big company, small spend, big company, big spend. The big company, big spend companies do about 145% uh, net revenue retention. Uh, while the small company, small spend companies do about 58% net revenue retention. You're looking at your last 12 months of history. Yes, exactly. So what we, we made a conscious decision that if it's a small company not spending a lot, we're just not going to prioritize it because the unit economics aren't there. The LTV is not there, the logo retention, the expansion. But on the flip side, if we are already doing a lot with large companies, you know, we're finding that the sky's the limit. Yep. Can I take 350 customers today at 110 ACV average? You're doing about 3.5 million a month. Uh, we're doing a little less than that. 
because okay. um, some of the customers, uh, well, it, there's customers and there's licenses. So our ARR is, is, you know, this year going to be between 35 and 45 million. And right now you're around 40, right? Run rate wise? A little less, yeah. a little less than 40. Yeah. And what does that mean in terms of growth rate year over year? Um, this year we're shooting for growth rate of around 70 to 75%. I think next year it could accelerate. Uh, it's Got accelerating it. this year. Last year it was like 68%. Got it. So if we weren't funded to invest in the business and now we are. Yep. So if you hit 45 and AOR at the end of this year in December, that means you finished December 2020 at what, around a $35 million run rate? No, because we're going 75%. So we're in a 20s. Okay. 25. Uh, got it. So then it would be a 27, 27 million run rate, something like that. Exactly. Then. exactly. Interesting. Okay. This is great growth. Now you use this growth to go out and do a new series D round. Tell me about that. So, you know, there were a couple of things driving it. Originally, we didn't want to raise money until the end of this year, maybe early next year, because we had raised last year, we put about $20 million on the balance sheet through a Series C and a Series C extension round. Uh, the Series C closed in March 2020. The extension round closed around September 2020. And the total of that was $35 million or twenty. Uh, the total on, that went on the balance sheet is 20. There was some secondary to take out I some old investors. So there was yeah, 20 yeah. million of new capital that went onto the balance sheet. Um, we didn't burn because we're pretty capital efficient. We do above a one-to-one ratio of annual burn to new ARR. Um, right. so, so we, so we had, you know, a decent amount of capital on the balance sheet, but it's a frothy market. It's a competitive market. You have companies like Qualtrics and Medallia, who Medallia was publicly traded. They just got taken private. Um, SurveyMonkey, you mentioned user testing, user zoom. It's a, it's a busy space, and we need the firepower to go against these companies. Um, we've executed incredibly well, but at a certain point, you know, you need to invest in the engineering, the sales and marketing support, et cetera, to really compete if we want to reach our goal, which is to take the company public. So since we had we had a good investor, we had the right valuation, and we just thought now's a good time to strike and allow us to be even more aggressive. Um, and that was what, be, what was behind the round. Guys, if you're bootstrapped and want some extra cash to run experiments, don't forget to try mynewbusinessfounderpath.com. We take your monthly recurring revenue and turn it into upfront cash overnight. If you're doing 10 grand a month in revenue, you can get 30 grand today right away and then take more money as you need it every couple of weeks. Check it out today. We do deals as small as 10,000, all the way up to 1.5 million. See how much you can get at founderpath.com. Again, that's founderpath.com. Was the post money valuation above 500 million? No. Okay. No. Well, you can be there. I mean, you've got to be really close. Yeah. I mean, our growth rate isn't, it's funny. The West Coast VC is 100% growth. And <laughs> they literally, and it did, the West Coast VCs didn't care that we weren't burning a lot of money. They just want 100% growth. And it's kind of silly to me because we could have spent a lot more money and got there. And it could have even been with the wrong customers. We don't service other SaaS companies. I think a big house of cards in SaaS right now is SaaS companies who have a customer base that is other SaaS companies. That are funded market, SaaS companies burning money. Exactly. In the down market, <laughs> that's the first to go. Our clients are Procter & Gamble, Johnson Johnson, Microsoft, you know, Coca-Cola. You know, we have blue chip companies who aren't going to go away. And I think that, but the I don't think the West Coast VCs value that at all. Um, and that's why we ended up doing a deal with an East Coast private equity firm who was, um, I wouldn't say equally as aggressive, but aggressive in terms of valuation and really understood and believed in where, what we're building. When I hear private equity, I think secondary. Did all the $46 million go on the balance sheet? The majority of it did, yeah. Okay, interesting. And can you share the valuation? I can't, no. Okay. Because if I share something to you, I have to share it to all the other shareholders, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair enough, fair enough. But okay. I, honestly, I don't even know what I can share. This is all new territory for <laughs> me. <laughs> if you're asking me everything, exactly. <laughs> let me ask you a different question. Obviously, as a founder, putting your founder hat on, you're, you just want to be sensitive to dilution. Now, you're okay with a much bigger pie. You want an IPO, so I get it. You're going for the gold. But like, yeah. how much equity do you still own? 
I mean, that I'd rather, let's just say it's less than 15% and more than 5%. It's so like, would you do anything differently to try and preserve more now looking back or no, you're okay with 5%? Well, this business, if you'll remember, the orange of this business is, is an interesting one. We had incubated software within my agency, MRY, and I spun it out. Um, and then I went on to sell the agency and I put in a different CEO to run it, who basically, so he was theoretically the founder, even though I incubated it in my agency. And then I came in and we pivoted. So the origins of this business on the cap table is over 10 years old. So this isn't a, a traditional startup that was started in a garage in Palo Alto. So I don't think there was anything I could have done differently. You know, we're achieving tremendous scale. And to me, it's not about the ownership. It's about the outcome. And, and you know, I'd rather have a smaller piece of a bigger pie. And that's really where we're going. You're at five. Obviously, I'd like to, you'd always like to own more, right? Of course. I mean, Anyone would of course. say that. You're so. at five to 15. Does the agency sit on the cap table as well? If no, the agency shareholders did. So the shareholders oh. of the agency, which at that point we had already sold the majority stake to private equity. So basically there's a private equity firm that was the majority shareholder of the agency who then became a majority shareholder of of CrowdTap, which ended up becoming Suzy. And they were actually one of the ones that liquidated last year as part of the oh. secondary because they've been in it as part of a 10 year old fund, but they already made a three and a half X times return when I sold my agency. This is just, you know, cherry on top of the cake. So to speak. fascinating. What'd you yeah. sell the agency for again? I, I saw the agency for 50 million. In what year? 2011. Okay. Yeah. That was right before this. Interesting. Right. Okay, cool. Now so here we are raising 50 million of capital. I mean, times have changed and it just goes to show you how much better of a model SaaS is than an agency model, because that took me 12 years to get that exit. And, you know, we are probably 10 times as valuable or close, right. Um, after only being in business for three and a half years. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm more, much more of a disruptive product, but just goes to show you, um, you know, if you can get product market fit, how much value you can create. Yeah, no, this makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. What about M&A? You have, you have capital now. You're going to go buy yep. some companies here? We are. We are. We're looking at companies in a variety of different categories, whether it's syndicated research. We, we have our own audience, our own consumer audience. So we're, we have interest in, in expanding that around the world, as well as getting into other niche verticals, whether we have uh, panels of IT decision makers, um, information workers, things like that partnering with publishers, et cetera. So we're very acquisitive right now. We also have access to a debt facility to, you know, go after additional acquisitions if we want to. How cheap can a company like you get debt today? Um, fairly cheap. I mean, it, it depends on how you define cheap. I mean, it's not credit card debt. Um, you're looking at probably 8%. Uh, yeah. We can get debt, especially with the, the cash on our balance sheet. And, and I was going to say, how much can you get relative to your AR, like 2X AR or 1X ARR line or what? Um, well, we haven't tried to push the limits of that yet. So yeah. I couldn't answer that question, but yeah. Apple is not really a concern for us right now, thankfully. But you know, you can never rest on your laurels. Matt, as we wrap up here, I want to talk a little bit about the marketplace. You have a bunch of these consumers on the platform ready at any instant to test a PNG product. How many like of those people are in your network? So we have 1.4 million registered users of CrowdTap that are on gamified apps on both iOS and Android. On a monthly basis, you know, you have anywhere between 50 to 100,000 that are active in some way, shape, and form because they're targeted by our clients based upon the first party demographic data we have on those users. And what do you pay them every, every time they test a PNG product, give you feedback? So they earn points, which they can cash in towards uh, re rewards. We have a reward store within CrowdTap where they can get digital currency like a Spotify gift card or an Amazon gift card or things like that. So last month, how much did you spend just on gifts for your consumers exchanging points? It, it comes out to around 10 to 15% of our, of our revenue. That's okay. our biggest line item in COGS. Yeah, but so is that bad or good? I don't know. Well, I mean, I look at it, what's the gross margin of our company and our gross margins are in the mid seventies, which is good for SaaS. I mean, it's not amazing for SaaS, but it's right down the fairway. So it's, it's COGS. So to me, as long as we can maintain our gross margins, we're in good shape. 
it's better than any other market research firm that we compete with because none of them have their own audience. You own so, those platforms, those gamified apps though, right? Yeah, we own the app, we own the brand, we own the users. Uh, yeah. Every other company actually has to buy users from a programmatic audience platform if they want to provide an audience. We we're almost we have a vertical model. We have our own users and our own front end platform, which makes us unique. Nice arbitrage. Yep. Uh, and so, so how do you keep users active on those apps when really they're just answering surveys all day long? Is it literally like they're playing like a mini version of Sellers of Catan and then a little ad for PNG right. pops up? It's not even ad. They're not playing a game. It's just the questions are the game. People love giving feedback. And the difference is you're not filling out long form surveys. It's like, what'd you eat for dinner last night? Chipotle. What, like, what's your favorite color? Blue. It's very quick. It's quick hit. So people will do it when they're online at Starbucks or instead of playing words with friends or something. And we have a great team. We have an entirely different team in our company. That's just the crowd tap engagement team that focuses on engaging, acquiring the, and, and retaining these users. That's a huge deal. Yeah. So you'll, you'll sneak a question in there after the Chipotle answer. You'll say, did you use dial or Irish soap last night? Something like right, that. Right. <laughs> and, and, and during the fundraising process, a lot of these had a hard time wrestling with the fact that we had, we also had a B2C product yeah. and a B2B product, it didn't fit right in their template, which took a lot of explaining as well. Yeah. All right, Matt, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite book. Uh, I like Blitzscale right now. That's what I'm reading right now because we're about the Blitzscale. <laughs> Number, you are Blitzscaling. Number two, yeah, is, there a CEO, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, I always follow uh, Ben Horowitz really closely. Um, I just love the way that he thinks about business. I also love his book as well, mm -hmm. Hard Things About Hard Things. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building a business? Uh, Insight Squared, which is a tool that sits on top of Salesforce that allows you to uh, obsessively check your pipeline and your unit economics of sales. I check that all day long. I meant to ask you this. Qualtrics is a big player, a lot of cash in the space. You must have had acquisition offers. What's the largest acquisition offer you've turned down? Um, we've had people throw around, you know, between 10 to 12 times revenue. Um, not recently because we haven't even entertained the, the uh, ARR rather, but we haven't even entertained the offers as of late. Uh, yeah. you know, I want to take the company public. I don't want to sell it. I mean, obviously never say never, but I've already sold the business. I'm, I want to, to me, that's the NBA championship of business is taking company public. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. And, and you, you fit the model perfectly of like these rock star founders because you already have your life stuff taken care of from your first yeah, sales. I'm old, I'm old, which means also oh. the people I know are old in business, which means they're senior, which means they can make big decisions. <laughs> that's another thing. So I'll come out with these. I, I think there is ageism going on. I can't believe I'm talking about it, but it's like, you know, we're not the young graduate from Stanford, but I've been around the block. I've been through the financial crisis. I've been through, you know, 9-11, all this stuff. And because of that, I think you can weather more storms, just more experience. I don't, I'm looking closely. I don't see any gray nothing, hair yet. Nothing so against young guys like you, but. Yeah, you know. you know, you know, I'm pushing my 40s here soon. Give me, give me a couple of years. Yeah, I saw you've uh, upgraded your kitchen as well. So good for you. A <laughs> little bit of an upgrade. Yep. Real yep. nice, real nice. Number of four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, six to eight. Six to eight. And situation, married, single kids? Married, three kids. Wow. Okay. And how old are you? Uh, I am 46. 46. Take us home. Something you wish you knew when you were 20, Matt. That your network is everything. Don't just be at a conference or a virtual conference looking for the person with the Nike or P&G badge uh, because you never know where the person with a, a company you've never heard of will be in 20 years and just try to really create connections with as many people as you can and hold on to those connections for dear life because your network is everything, especially when you want to start a business or change jobs later in life. Guys, Suzy.com, great user research tool for the CPG brands like P&G, did a $46 million raise earlier this year. We'll say flirting with a half billion dollar valuation. They grew revenue from $27 million in ARR at the end of last year to over $40 million 
or flirting with 40 million right now. I think they'll finish the year about a, you know, $45 million run. We'll see what happens scaling the team big time, 200 people on the team, 65 engineers. And again, 350 customers they're serving now today at an average ACV of 110 net dollar retention going through the roof as they keep scaling, eyeing that IPO date. Matt, thanks for taking us to the top. Thank you. Love your show. Talk soon.